Matthew chapter 3. We're going to be reading uh, several verses in uh, Matthew chapter 3 and uh, uh, chapter 4. And what we're going to do, we're going to look today at the beginning of Jesus' ministry here on this earth. And when we look at Christ's ministry, and we can, and we look at our life. There's a lot of times we can draw some comparisons. And Jesus, he left us some examples, and he that we could follow. And uh, one of the things, uh, the question I want us to talk about today is what's next after salvation? After you get saved, of course, salvation is the most important thing. That is the main thing that we want anybody to get because that's what determines where you're going to spend. Eternity, but after salvation, there are some things that God expects from us. There are some things that He wants. And we're going to look at some things in the life of Christ. And as I was reading through this passage, I was was seeing all these comparisons that it is just like that in the lives of Christians after they get saved. So we're going to read a few verses here. We're going to start reading in verse 1 of Matthew chapter 3. It says, In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leathern girdle about his loins, and his meat was locusts and wild honey. Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region around about Jordan, and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits meet for repentance, and think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham." And now also the axe is laid under the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water under repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire." Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me. And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Right here we see the story of the baptism of Jesus Christ. Now Jesus, one area where He was different than us, Jesus never needed to get saved. Jesus was salvation. Jesus didn't need to get saved because Jesus never sinned. He never did anything to fall short of the glory of God. Jesus Christ lived a perfect life But understand where we're at in Jesus' life. At this point, His ministry hasn't begun yet. As far as we know, there's no record in the Bible of any miracles or anything that He did before this time. This was the beginning of Jesus' ministry on the earth. 
And one thing that we see, Jesus Christ, before He started His ministry, before He went on to do what God had prepared for Him, Jesus Christ, the first thing He did, He got baptized. Now, I believe in baptism. We've got a baptismal tank here, and I love baptism. I love what it represents. But understand, baptism doesn't save you. If baptism saved you, Jesus would not have needed to be baptized. He was, he was salvation. But he did it, and he, when Jesus comes to John, John's wondering what's going on. Remember, John, he was a special man of God that he was, well, what is known as the forerunner to Christ. He was sent to prepare the hearts of the people to receive Christ. He was there to get them ready. And what he preached, he preached repentance. He, I mean, he preached against sin. He did it all the time, and he made people mad doing it. But he did it. He did what God wanted to do. He preached repentance. And Jesus comes along and He wants to get baptized. And John's thinking, you know, Lord, you should be baptizing me. I'm not, I'm not even worthy to carry your shoes. And Jesus said, Suffer it to be so. Allow me to do this. This must be done to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus Christ was trying to set an example for us. And Jesus Christ, God, it's part of His plan that after we get saved, after we give our hearts to Him, God wants us to be baptized. Throughout the Bible, we see that when people would be saved, they were saved and then they were baptized. One story that I that I love in Acts chapter eight. Acts chapter eight says, "And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south." under the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charged all of her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah the prophet. Now, there's so many wonderful things in this passage here. I don't want to preach a whole message on it. But here we have Philip. He is leaving a great revival. And God sends him out into the desert. And this man named Philip, who had went to Jerusalem to worship, this man was looking for something while he was there. And he's on he didn't find what he was looking for. And he's on his way back. And while he was in Jerusalem, probably, he gets a hold of a copy of the book of Isaiah. And he's out there and he's reading the book of Isaiah. And God has Philip leave this great revival to go find one guy in the desert that was searching. I'm here today to tell you if there's somebody that's searching for salvation, God's going to send somebody their way and tell them. And one person is very important to God. And it says, uh, Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him and read, uh, heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest what thou readest. And he said, How can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the Scripture which he read was this, He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. You know, the Old Testament is full of Jesus Christ. never calls Him by name, but it is so clear when you're reading that Old Testament, especially in Isaiah, it's talking about Jesus Christ. Verse 33, In His humiliation, His judgment was taken away. Who shall declare His generation for His life is taken from the earth? And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet? This uh, speaketh the prophet this of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. 
And when they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Philip's been preaching them. He's been telling them about Jesus, and somewhere he probably maybe he told them the story about Jesus and when he was baptized, and about how uh, the saved are supposed to get baptized. And the eunuch he sees the water. He's like, "Hey, what's hindering me to be baptized?" And then notice this next verse. This next verse is great. Verse thirty-seven. And Philip said, "If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest." And he answered and said, "I believe that Jesus Christ." is the Son of God. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. This man here, he's just given, he's just given his heart to Christ. He's just believed for salvation. And it says, "...and he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they, both, they went both down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him." He came and he was baptized. It's something that we do. It identifies us with Christ. When we get baptized, when we get immersed under the water, that's the same thing that Jesus did. It identifies us with Him. He Jesus went. He went. He went to John the Baptist, and he got he got baptized. He came out of the water. He didn't just get sprinkled. We when I went to Israel, remember we went out to the Jordan River, and they have some spots out there where people get baptized. And they got one spot for the people who believe in immersion, where they put them underwater. And then they got this other spot for the sprinklers. And they had this monkeys out there in the water. And he's he's standing out there in the water, and all the folks are standing there on the shore, and he starts splashing all of them. And he's just kind of splashing them. If they didn't get anything on them, they had to raise their hand, and he'd do another splash to make sure they got something. He's baptizing them, and uh, you know that's that's not how it was done. It happened like Christ. We do it like Jesus did under the water. We do it at, we do it after salvation, not before. We're not gonna. I'm not gonna go and get Allie out of the nursery, and I'm not gonna go put her under the water just so I can feel better that she's going to heaven. No, she's got to make that choice. Notice the eunuch did. He he want man, he wanted it. He wanted to get baptized. He wanted. He he believed in Jesus Christ. He had no problem identifying himself with Christ. He was all for it, and he did it. It was he made that step of obedience. They came out of the water, and they were both rejoicing. They're exciting. It's a great thing to be identified with Christ to do something. It's kind of like uh, a baptism. Is kind of like I guess you could say a wedding ring. When my wife and I got married. She put this ring on my finger. Now I just, now I just took the ring off. Doesn't mean I'm not married anymore. And the truth is, you don't have to have a ring to be married. But that ring it represents that we're married. It's telling everybody else that hey, I already belong to somebody. That any any of the women out there see it? Hey, this guy's already taken. And you know what? My wife would be upset if every time I went out in public and I wasn't with her, I was losing my ring. She'd have a problem with that. It identifies me. With her, it shows everybody that I'm married, and that's what baptism does. It's a picture of that. It's it's a symbol of Jesus Christ, His death, His burial, and His resurrection, and it's a picture of that. And when we get saved, we have we should have no problem identifying ourselves with Christ. We know that there was something wrong if after I got married, I was like I'm not wearing that ring. I'm not. I don't want anybody to know I'm married. You know, let's let's keep that quiet. I know we're married. Yeah, I, you know, but. We don't have to let people know. Hey, there's nothing wrong with letting people know. And when we got married, and you don't have to do it this way, you know, we had the church wedding. We did it in front of a bunch of people. We invited everybody. We didn't mind people knowing that we were getting married. Now we could have went. We could have done it privately. We could have went to a courthouse, and we would have been just as married. But you know what? There's something special about doing it in public. And uh, and uh, baptism—it's a—it's a public 
identification of yourself with Jesus Christ. It, uh, it identifies you with the church. There are some churches they've got some different kind of baptisms and things that they do. And it kind of identifies you with them. And that's why uh, it's important too that you're baptized in the right, in the right kind of church. One uh, that's preaching the truth. And Jesus Christ, notice when He went to be baptized, He went to one that was preaching the truth. He went to John the Baptist, who notice in Matthew chapter 3, I just turned from there, but if you're still there in Matthew chapter 3, I want you to notice something because this is very important when it comes to baptism or church attendance. It says in verse 1, "...in those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand." Note, Jesus Christ, when He started His ministry, did the exact same thing. said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Well, uh, we see that in uh, Matthew chapter 4, I believe it is. I, went, I didn't write down the passage. I know we're going to be... Uh, whenever He started His ministry, um, in verse, oh, verse 17, Matthew 4.17, from that time Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And I tell you, it's, it, it, that baptism, it identifies you with that church. And if it's a church that's preaching some kind of crazy stuff, if after they get, people get baptized there, they get up and they're speaking in tongues and all that kind of stuff, you know, that's, uh, that's identifying you with something else. And Jesus Christ, He went to one who was preaching the same thing that He was going to preach. Preaching the Gospel message. But then, but, so baptism, we call it the first step. Of obedience, so I've been, maybe you've been baptized. So what's next? What comes after baptism? Well, this next one here is not real. It's not real exciting, but unfortunately, it's the truth. It happens, and I'm just going to be honest. I'm going to warn you one thing. As soon as Jesus was baptized, verse one of chapter four, then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. We're not going to take time to read through the whole thing, but forty days Jesus went without food. The devil came and the devil tempted him. The devil threw everything he had at Jesus Christ trying to get him to sin. He tried to get him to turn the stone into bread. He tried to get him to jump from the temple just to try to test God or to tempt God. He tried to get him to bow down and worship Him. He tried everything. He tried all the things that he tried on Eve. He tried all the things that he's tried on every one of us. The things that have been successful for everybody who had ever lived before that, but with Jesus Christ, thank God, it failed. He did not get Jesus to sin. And one thing that is so sad that that I see, I've seen so many times in my life, is after people give their heart to Christ and after they decide that they're going to be obedient to Him, the devil comes along and he throws temptation in their way. I wish I could tell you that after you got saved, that the devil is going to leave you alone and never bother you again. But I'm here today to tell you that that is not the case when you give your heart to Christ. That upsets the devil. He's mad. He lost your soul. And now you are a threat because not only have you received Christ, but now you have the ability to tell others. And the last thing he wants is you going and recruiting more people and seeing more people get saved. And he's gonna he's gonna throw things at you. He's gonna tempt you. He's gonna come after you with things and and I, you see it happen. I, I mean, I, that's what I, I pray for people after they get saved. It's like Lord, you know, help them. Lord, help them to be able to resist the devil. Or I, I know he's gonna tempt them. I'll warn people. The devil's gonna come after you. 
He's going he's gonna to th- throw problems your way. But I'm here to tell you, you need to trust Christ. Just trust Him. Be faithful. Be obedient to Him. You can do it. Just like Jesus Christ was able to resist the devil. And Jesus Christ did it through the Scriptures. He just kept quoting Scripture to the devil. He wouldn't listen. He just kept quoting Scripture. You've got to do the same things. And there were, there's going to be temptations. And there's going to be, there's going to be times where there's going to be some suffering. First Peter chapter 2. I know, you know, this isn't the fun stuff to preach about right here. But you know what? It, either way, no matter what way you look at it, it is the truth. And it, and this will help you if you're prepared for it. Matthew chapter 2 verse, uh, 19, or 1 Peter, I'm sorry, 1 Peter 2 19 says, for this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if when you when you be buffeted for your faults, you shall take it patiently. But if when you do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow His steps. Jesus Christ suffered, but He left us an example that we can follow. And if we'll follow in His steps, we could do like He did. Verse 22 says, "...who did no sin, neither was guile found in His mouth, who when He was reviled, reviled not again. When He suffered, He threatened not, but committed Himself to Him that judgeth righteously, who His own self bare our sins in His own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but now are returned unto the shepherd." And bishop of your souls, Jesus Christ was suffered. Uh, he suffered. We he left an example for us to follow, and we've been called to suffering. First Thessalonians chapter three, verse four through seven. You don't need to turn there. I want to. I want to read this passage to you. First Thessalonians three, verse four through seven. For verily, when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation even as it came to pass. And you know, Paul said, when we were with you, we told you it was going to happen. We warned you. For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter, having tempted you, and our labor be in vain. He was worried about him. Because he knew. He knew the devil. He knew the tempter was going to come along and he was going to tempt them. But it says in verse 6, but now when Timotheus came from you unto us, and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity that ye have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us, and we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you in all our affliction and distress by your faith. Paul said, we, I, we warned you. So I, I warned you when I was here that there was going to be tribulation was going to come. Temptation was come. The devil, the tempter, was going to come at you. But boy, when Timotheus came along and he told us that you guys were staying strong in the faith and you were doing right, we were struggling. We were in tribulation, but we got comforted through your faith. It motivated Paul, man. It got them excited while they were going through a hard time. They're like, listen, hey, there's some more folks that we saw, we've seen come to Christ that have stayed faithful, that have done what God told them to do, and they have resisted the devil. They didn't fall for uh, for his tricks. They did the right thing. They didn't sin, and it encouraged them. And they're like, you know what? We're in a bad spot right now too. We're in, we're being tempted right now too. But you know what? If these folks can do it, so can we. 
And they stayed faithful. And I'm telling you, there's nothing more encouraging to me than when I see people, when they get saved, and I see the devil come along, and he starts just messing with their lives, and he starts throwing temptations their way, and just giving them one problem after another. You see those folks that they just stay faithful, and they keep doing right, and they, I mean, they keep loving God, and they stay faithful to Him. And boy, that just, that thrills my heart. Because I'm here today to tell you, I've been saved for a long time, but the devil still throws temptations my way. The devil still throws problems my way. And I, I get discouraged. And many times I've been motivated and I've been strengthened by the faith of other people. I, I'm, I'm encouraged all the time, every week by your faith. The faithfulness that you've shown here. You've been doing right. You've been coming. Even when, you know, when the weather's bad, you're there. Maybe you're not even feeling the best and you're busy. you got things going on. And that faithfulness, it motivates me to stay faithful. I guarantee you, I mean, the devil, he's, the devil, he, is, he works overtime on Sundays throwing temptations at people. He doesn't want them in the house of God. That's when everything bad happens. That's when all the fun, or all the fun stuff is coming along and he's gonna throw things at you. But I'm here today to tell you that you can do right. We can do right. Jesus left us an example. He did it. We can do it. Others did it. These folks did it in 1 Thessalonians. And God's got people all over that are doing right and resisting the temptation. But it's going to come that after after you get saved, you ought to be baptized. After you get baptized, there's going to be temptation. And the truth is, even if you do not follow Christ, I don't know if you all noticed this, but there's suffering all over in this world. Lost people suffer too. And the truth is, it's usually a whole lot worse. Because they don't have Christ that they can depend on. They don't have Christ that can, that's, they don't have the grace of God to help them get through those things. They are in it alone. And if you think that running away from the will of God and running away from the things of God is going to help you avoid problems, it's just going to cause you to run for more problems. You're going to have problems doing right. You're going to have temptations, but God will help you to get through those things and you can stay strong. But then notice, after this temptation, this is, this is very encouraging here. In verse 11, uh, I'm, in the, I'm in the wrong chapter. Back, we're back in Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. Satan, he's got done <coughs> tempting Christ. Remember, Jesus, 40 days, no food. And Satan tried to tempt him with food. Now, Jesus, He was a man. Even though He was the Son of God, He was man, just like you and I. He got hungry. He got weary. He got tired. And no doubt, He is probably... I mean, He... I can't imagine. I've gone two days without food. And that's bad enough. But 40 days without food. And notice what happens after Satan leaves him. In verse 11 of Matthew chapter 4, it says, "...then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came..." And ministered unto him. Now, what all they did exactly, I don't know. I imagine maybe they came and they fed him. They ministered unto him. They, they took care of him. He probably, they probably nursed him back to health. Because, I mean, he'd just been through a time that none of us can even imagine. And the truth is, uh, we see in the Bible that angels, they are many times, they're, they're, an angel's a messenger. Maybe they just gave him messages from God. I don't know exactly what all they did. But in Revelation, we're not going to take time to turn there. There's some passages in the Bible where God refers to pastors as angels because we're messengers. We're giving people a message. And one of the things that we are supposed, the purposes of the church 
is for us to be able to come there and sometimes we need minister to. The devil, boy, you mean he's just been beating people up the other week. He's been tempting them. He's been throwing things at them. And people, they come to church and they're weary. They're, they're spiritually, boy, they're worn out. They're down. They're tired. And the, and the preaching of the Word of God, God will, will give them messages sometimes. Maybe I'll, I'll be preaching about something and I, I intend it to be for one thing, but I show you, I give a passage and it strengthens you, it comforts you. I can't tell you how many times I've been in church and I've been discouraged and I've been needing something from God and I get it from the preaching of the Word of God. Preachers who didn't even know me know anything about me. They've preached things that was exactly what I needed. You know what? I was being ministered to. I've been being tempted by the devil. I've been, I mean, the devil has been giving me all kinds of grief and then the Lord sends His messengers to comfort me and to minister to me. And what a blessing that is. I regularly, whenever I can, I like to go and visit other churches because as a pastor too, I need preaching. I need ministering and I enjoy getting it. Just last Tuesday, I went to a church service, and man, the message just—it did. It it fed me. It ministered to me. It helped me. And we all need that. And when somebody gets saved, after they get saved, after they got baptized, boy, they need to get into. They need to get into a good church. They need to get in the house of God because God uses the house of God. He uses the pastors and He uses His ministers there in the church to minister to you and to be a help to you. And it's something that we all need. I need. I need the preaching. I need the house of God. I need the people of God. I get ministered to not just through the preaching, but just through you all. Just talking with you and just the encouragement that I get sometimes. I mean, there's all we all are supposed to be ministering to each other. We help each other and we need that because it is difficult in this world today. It's hard to do right. The devil, he's got so many temptations and things out there for us. And no doubt, I mean, if we're all honest, we'll say that, you know, just this week, there was probably all kinds of things he threw our way and we were tempted to do things and it, it takes its toll on you spiritually. But you know what? We come to church and we know that there's a place where, hey, there's some people here that are going to encourage me to keep on doing right. There's going to, there's people there that are going to encourage me to stay faithful to God, and I need that because I'm I'm worn out right now. I'm down and I'm discouraged, uh, and maybe you've even had some defeats, and you come to the house of God, and God can minister to you. You need to be a part of the church. Hebrews chapter ten twenty five, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. God wants us in the house of God. One, so we can be encouraged. So we can be ministered to. But also so we can minister to other people. Some people are like, well, you know, I'm feeling pretty good this week. I'm not discouraged. I don't need church this week. But you know what? There may be somebody else in the church that needs you this week. The pastor might need you this week. There might be somebody else that's going through something in the church, and uh, when, you know, we're there. People, they, uh, we can find out some of the needs and things that people have, and we can we can pray for them. Like Susan, right now, she's got a need. She's got something that she's going through. We're here today. We ought, we ought to be praying for. Her. We ought to be encouraging her during this time. It's a way to minister because one of these days, it's probably going to be us. We're going to be the ones. That need that. Thank God, I've never, I've never had to deal with cancer or anything like that. But that day may come. That day may come where I'm the one that needs a prayer, and I'm going to be the one going. I'm going to be asking people to pray for me. 
And maybe if I've been praying for them and I've been encouraging them, the same thing will be done for me. And I'm here today to tell you too that prayer works. Prayer, we, we need it. And it's, it's comforting just to know that people are praying for you. And when the, the more involved we get in church, the more of that we get. And what a blessing it is. We need that ministering. The reason so many people, even after they get saved, they get away from God and they get backslidden and they get in the same mess they were before they were saved. They don't get in the house of God. They don't get in church. They're not getting that ministering. Listen, even Jesus needed to be ministered to after the temptation of the devil. And I, we definitely needed ourselves. And we get that in the house of God. But all Christians regularly need to hear from God's messenger to find strength. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, Paul told Timothy, he said, Preach the Word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove. Rebuke. And then he said, Exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. As pastors, we got, we got to preach against a lot of things. We do a lot of reproving. We do a lot of rebuking. But sometimes we need to just encourage. We need to encourage. He said, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. People need that. We all need it. I need it. Jesus Christ needed it. So after you get saved, first you need to be baptized. After you get baptized, the devil is going to come after you. He's going to tempt you. You need to get in the house of God for that so you can have that ministry and be a part of a church. And the next thing we see, Jesus Christ said, after that, after after you've you've been in church for a while, after you've faced some of those temptations and the Lord has given you victory, after you've been ministered to you, you've been helped, now there's something else that you, that we can all do. And that's the same thing that Jesus did in Matthew chapter four, verse twelve, the very next verse, after he had been ministered after he'd been ministered to, it says now when Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the sea coast and the borders of Zebulon and Nephilim, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Nephilim, by the way of the sea beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people which sat in darkness saw a great light. And to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light has sprung up. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The Bible says that Jesus went and a prophecy was fulfilled. That the people in that area, they saw a great light. That light was Jesus Christ. Did you know that Jesus Christ has called us as His children to be a light to the world? Now, the next thing God wants is He wants us to be a light. He wants us to share the gospel with other people. He went and he did. He preached. He preached and he said, you know, he preached repentance. Repent ye for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He told people, you need to you need to change your ways. You need to stop the sinning that you're doing. And it made him very unpopular with some people, but Jesus Christ went on, he did the will of his father and he preached the gospel. He preached the exact same message that John the Baptist preached. And he went on and he shared that with people. And that's what God wants us to do. After we get saved, God wants us to be a light to this world. He wants us to tell other people. We ought to be telling, you ought to be telling your families about Christ. Tell them what He's done in your life. Tell them about how He saved your soul. Invite them to your church. I mean, do whatever you can do to get the gospel message to them, they need to hear it. Not just your family. Your neighbors need to hear it. Your friends, your co-workers. I mean, wherever. I mean, whoever you can tell, we ought to want to tell them about the gospel. We ought to want to tell them about Jesus Christ. 
He didn't call us here after we get saved and become part of a church. We're not here so we can start a new message. We're just supposed to keep sharing the same old message that Christ told 2,000 years ago. Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 says, I marvel, not that, or I marvel that ye are so soon removed from Him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. He said, I'm shocked at how fast you all went from the truth to something else. He says, which is not another meaning not another gospel, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Don't ever listen to anything, any other gospel other than this one right here. If it, so an angel showed up at my house. Well, an angel showed up Joseph Smith supposedly and look what he started. He started the Mormon church, which is pretty goofy. You know, and the Bible says, don't even receive another message from an angel. We're not supposed to do that. And Paul told him, don't receive it. He said, I said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you, then that ye have received, let him be accursed. He repeats himself. He said it in the one verse, if any preach another gospel, let him be accursed. And he's like, you know what? That was so good, I'm going to say it again. And if anybody preach another gospel to you, let him be accursed. He's trying to get the message across. We're not here to start another gospel. We're not here to pervert the gospel. We're not here to try to figure out how we can come up with a feel-good gospel that includes everybody and makes everybody feel great. No, we're supposed to preach the same gospel that Jesus preached. The doctrine. We're supposed to preach repentance. We're supposed to teach people they need to turn from their sins and they need to come to Christ. He says in verse ten, "For do I now persuade men or God?" Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. He said, we're not here to please men. We're here to please God. Many churches today, they're... Their gospel has been perverted because they're trying to please the masses, trying to please people, trying to make people feel good. That's not what we're here for. We're here to preach the truth. We're here to we're here to please God. And I'm here today that God is pleased when we preach the gospel and preach the truth. Even if there's only two people that show up here, God's going to be pleased, more pleased by the person who's preaching the truth than the guy who's preaching a lie to thousands. We've got to stick to the truth. We've got to stick to what the Word of God says. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ did. He preached the same message that John the Baptist preached. He didn't start a new message. He preached the Gospel. He preached salvation. Then the next thing we see Him do, in verse 18 of Matthew chapter 4, "...and Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea." For they were fishers. And He saith unto them, Follow Me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed Him. And it goes on and it shows how Jesus called all of His disciples. And after we get saved, and after we do all these things that we've talked about, one of the things that ought to be a goal for us as a group, as a church, it ought to be to recruit disciples that will go and do what Jesus' disciples did. You know, Jesus' disciples. Jesus was starting the first church right there. Jesus Christ started the church. It wasn't. He was the. He started the church. It was Jesus, not John the Baptist. Jesus Christ started the first church. Not. It wasn't the apostles of the day of Pentecost. It was Jesus Christ. 
And He called His disciples. And after He, after Jesus Christ died and went to heaven, He sent them out and they went and they started starting churches. They started getting new disciples and training people for, uh, for the cause of Christ. They were The disciples were the first church planners. And you know what? God still calls disciples out of congregations today to go and start other churches. There's going to be people that I believe over the years that are going to come through this church. Not, not, not everybody. God doesn't call everybody this, but I believe there's going to be some people that come through here that God's going to speak to their heart and God's going to call them and say, hey, I want you to give your life to the work of God. I want you to be a pastor. I want you to be a missionary. I want you to do something. I want you to go and I want you to start more churches. And I'm looking forward to the day when we have people here that they go and they they answer that call to be a disciple of Christ, to give their life to the ministry and to see them go and leave this place and start churches somewhere else. Maybe start churches in a foreign country. Maybe go someplace where the Gospel isn't being preached. That's what That's what we're supposed to be doing as a church, we need to be we need to be starting more works. We need to be expanding ministries. We need to be getting involved in these things. And I believe God's going to do that. He's going to speak to hearts. Maybe some of these kids that are in here, they'll be the next, they'll be the next ones. They'll be going and starting churches somewhere and doing these things. Jesus Christ did that. He went and he recruited some disciples that would go and do the same thing that he was doing. And that's exactly what those disciples did after Jesus after Jesus died. They went. And they preached Peter on the day of Pentecost, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Repentance. He preached the same thing. Did the same thing. And uh, thank God for that. Because we are a product of that today. Thank God there's always been people throughout history who have been preaching the truth. Even with all the false religions and things that have popped up, there's always been churches out there that are standing for the truth, that are sticking by the stuff, that are doing what they're supposed to do, that are preaching the same Gospel that Jesus Christ preached. And they've went and they've recruited disciples and they've sent them out and they've started other churches. And that's why we're here today. And that's why we're all here. And thank God for that. So, right there, hopefully, get, may give you a little picture of what's next after salvation. And the truth is, it's, a, it's, an, it's an exciting thing. It's a wonderful thing being involved in the work of the Lord. You say, well, you know, I, I can't you know, go out and start churches. Well, well, you can't. Maybe God hasn't called you to go out and be a pastor. But I'm here today to tell you that you all here today are just as much a part of this church plant as I am. Because pastors no good without church members. <laughs> we got we got you got to have those. It's it's just as important. And the truth is, y'all are y'all are doing that right now. You're a part of that. We're gonna be having our charter service in a couple weeks, and uh, you know, people will be able to officially join and identify themselves with this church and say that hey, I'm a I'm a member of this local body of believers, and we have a purpose. We have a purpose. To uh, to follow Christ, to lear, uh, to learn more about His Word, to be uh, to to continue uh, uh, living godly lives, and to be teaching other people to do the same thing, be baptizing people, and to be encouraging them to do right. We're all we're going to have people uh, that are, that are going to come through here. Some that have been saved for a long time. And there's going to be newly saved people, and we've got to be there for them. People from all different backgrounds and personalities, and there should always be somebody here for each of those that can be a help and can be an encouragement. And you're part of that right now. It's such a wonderful privilege. And I hope this gives you a little bit 
of an idea of what's next. That's always what you, what you wonder as you know, as a pastor, I'm always okay, what's next? What am I supposed to do? You know, what should I preach next? You know, what do we need to do next as a church? What do I need what do we we ought to always be thinking about that. And Jesus Christ, he gave us an example here in his word. We need to all do our best to follow it to the best of our ability. So let's stand together with our heads bowed and eyes closed.